first uh, scripture is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24 again. We are doing God's great and glorious gospel. We are returning to it maybe for just this one last night. And you should be able to pick up, even if you've missed the others, but I'll give a quick recap uh, so that others can maybe uh, find it easier to follow along or in case others have forgotten where we were. Matthew chapter 24, please. And verse, one verse, just verse 14. The Lord Jesus, speaking of end times, says on this gospel of the kingdom, take note, the kingdom of God. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. If you'd turn over to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, please, and just a couple of verses there. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word. Bless us by in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the sense of your presence. And we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, now that you would just mantle your spirit upon us. And Lord, that we would be conscious of you. We would not say anything irreverent. Neither would we say anything, Lord, that would offend you. But Lord, we would want to preach your word in truth. And we ask the Father that you would anoint my lips, as it were, with a live coal from off the altar. And anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save the soul, but also as believers that we would receive your word, Lord, into our minds and into our hearts to change our minds on certain issues that need to be changed, to touch our hearts, to strengthen us, to bless us, and to build us up upon our most holy faith. Lord, you are worthy of the praise, the glory, and the honor. And we tell you, Lord Jesus, without any hesitation, that we love you with all that we are and all that we have. You alone are God, and we worship you. For we ask these things in your name, giving you thanks. Amen. God's great and glorious gospel. We've covered a, a, a lot of ground, and there's been history, there's been prophecy, and there's been application of uh, different avenues and areas. We've shown you Bible pattern, where the Lord has said things in the Old Testament They've been preached in the new and they're carried out in this modern era. We have shown you the differences between the house of Israel and the house of Judah and the prophetic significance of it. Not only the prophetic significance of it, but the key that opens Bible prophecy. If you understand this key, then you'll understand better the things of Bible prophecy also. But we're showing you how there's a gospel message that would be preached. The gospel of the kingdom is more than a salvation message. It's a building up of God's people. There's a message of salvation. 
and there's a message of healing in it, and there's a message of national, uh, um, uh, God dealing with the nations, a national message in it. There's a, there's a variety of messages in the gospel of the kingdom. And the Lord Jesus, when you look at the, the parables that he had spoken of, most, if not all of them, were what's known as kingdom parables. We use them in times of gospel meetings or like the prodigal son is the backslider and the older brother is the grumpy Christian when he comes back. And that's fine for those sort of application uh, if you want to use that. But the prodigal son was typified as the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, who was a separate people from the house of Judah when God had separated them under the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and Jeroboam took reign in Samaria in the northern kingdom. Now, always give you a little picture, as it were, in your mind, if you could picture even how Ireland is northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland uh, that's the way Israel had went where there were two capital cities we have Belfast and Dublin there they had Samaria in the north Jerusalem in the south now Ju- Judah uh, uh, the house of Judah was the southern kingdom and Judah's were the derivative or, and it didn't come to a way down the line is where we get the name Jew from and the northern kingdom of Israel was the ten tribes, commonly known in today's circles as the lost ten tribes, and people trying to find out where they went. I am convinced that they came west and into Europe and into these islands, of, or in the, into our homelands and into Scandinavia, and that we are descended from those peoples, and that we are those peoples. And under the gospel, we are born again of the Spirit of God. We're not any better than anyone. Because we believe that we're not any, uh, we're not any superior to anyone. We're as lost as everyone else. And the idea is that God promised to send hunters and fishers. God promised that He would send them after the lost sheep and that they would hear the gospel. And in hearing that, that these nations of ours would become what's known as Christian nations or Christianized and we would have uh, uh, the fruit of the kingdom would come forward. The fruit of the kingdom being what we see today, not only spiritual fruit, spiritual fruit of the gospel and printing of tracts and the sending forth of missionaries and, uh, and missionary endeavor, that all of that would come for the Gentiles or if you want the heathen of the world were to see the glory of God in Israel. And of course, ancient Israel in the Bible had failed miserably and God had cast them away. The, elder, the prodigal son is like the house of Israel. The elder brother is like the house of Judah, who grumbled and griped and says, well, I've been here all the time, you know, and, and he starts to stick his chest out when the prodigal comes back again. We looked at the treasure in the field. The treasure is Israel. In the world, the field is the world, Jesus said. And so it was the scattered people. So when we come to the book of Hosea, and Hosea was told to marry a woman of whoredoms, and the woman of whoredoms was a woman from the house of Israel, when they were in the land there, and uh, and they were worshipping other idols, and they were worshipping false gods, and they were married on to God, and so they were an unfaithful wife. So Gomer is his wife, she is unfaithful, and she represented the house of Israel. And Hosea the prophet who married her, he represented Yahweh, or Almighty God. And so when, when he represents Almighty God, he marries onto this woman. This woman is in harlot, and then she is sent away, but then he goes after her to find her. And when he finds her, he finds her in the slave markets. 
and no one wants her. She's cast away. And again, the Lord said, this is a picture of the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. She is an adulterous wife to me. I'll cast her out. No one will want her. She'll have her ways hedged up. She won't know who she is. She'll walk about in darkness. She'll be scattered. She'll not know what she's doing. She'll worship other gods. She'll have other lovers. She'll be nothing more than put into the slavery market. In other words, the slavery market of sin, the slavery market of heathen idolatry and of heathen worship. And the Lord says, now Hosea, go and buy her back. And Hosea goes and he purchases her her out of the slave market and brings her back into his own home again. And that's the idea of this great and glorious gospel where Christ would die for us. The Son of God would give his life in order to go out to the slave market of where we were, where you were in your life, where I was in my life, a life of sin and a life of shame, a life of debauchery maybe, maybe a religious life, a life of not knowing Christ, a lost life, a life in darkness. And he says, go out and shine my light. Strangely or strangely not maybe, that the tribe of Benjamin made up the bulk, uh, if not all, of the, the 12 or the uh, at least 10 apostles or 10 disciples of the Lamb. They were Benjaminites. And Benjamin means son of my right hand, but they became known as, listen, the light bearing tribe. So God would send them out. When Paul the apostle comes, he goes to go east to preach the gospel, but the Lord hinders him and the Holy Ghost says, no, you'll go west and preach the gospel. And he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was carrying the light of the gospel west. It came first to the west, and then it goes around the world after that. So here we have God's word, and this great and glorious gospel, it's not a fable, it's not a fantasy, it's not a fairy tale, it's not something to read out of the Bible for a church service or a prayer book, it's not something just to hear in a Sunday school class and say, well, I was brought up and I went to that wee Sunday school. This is God's masterpiece, this is God's master plan for you and for me to be redeemed, bought back, remarried unto God and headed for the kingdom and his glory. Isn't that a wonderful gospel? Can you see that marvelous gospel? So we were in darkness and God sent forth his light. Now listen, we have looked at so much, obviously I can't show you at all. But in the, and I'll I'll have to paraphrase for quite a lot of it. But in the book of Hosea, when he represents almighty God, the Lord says, when he's mentioning the names of his children, he's to call his children certain names, meaning certain things for the people. And so he says that the, the, the one of them's called Lo Ruhama, and another one's called uh, Lo Ami, and they mean you're not my people and you'll not receive mercy. And he says that they're not going to receive any more mercy. I have given them my prophets. We think of Elijah. We think of Elisha. We think of Samuel before that, even with all of Israel, telling him to live a righteous life. We think of Hosea 
preaching to them. We think, we think of prophets like Amos who came from the southern kingdom of Judah to come up and tell them to get right with God. Tell them that God will bring judgment upon them. We think of, 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 of Isaiah even. We think of different prophets who are coming along and shouting, repent, repent, and as it were, standing from the mountaintop, shouting into the people that God was bringing a judgment upon the nation if they should not repent. And of course they didn't repent and judgment came. Now we are told that they would not receive mercy. No more, says your time's up. And therein is the gospel message for us. That when men and women hear the word of God, there are men and women who hear it time and time and time and time again and they turn Christ away and they look for other means and other methods and other things for their way of salvation, churchianity, religiosity, good works, alms and deeds, or they think there's nothing wrong with them and themselves and I'm okay the way I am. But friend, the Lord says that you're in darkness. He sends forth the gospel the light of his word into our lives to redeem us back onto himself. Now, when we have Hosea going, he preaches, you're not my people. You will not receive mercy. The Lord in his big heart of mercy and grace and love and kindness. Then later on, he gives a little hint of light in it. And he says, but there it will come a time that they will receive mercy. At this point, there's no more mercy. Judgment's coming. At this point, you will not be my people. I'm casting you out. But there will be a time, he says, when you will be called the sons of God. There's coming a time when you will be called, as it were, the daughters. Son is a generic term. You will be called the sons of God. There is coming a time when you will be forgiven. You will receive mercy. And this is all in the book of Hosea. We also look lastly... We look lastly at uh, a little prophet that, well, I think it's very very little read in in pulpits. And let me just read in the book of Micah. The book of Micah chapter 7. The Lord says this to the house of Israel before judgment comes. The Lord gives them a clear warning. And you'll find Micah, he's a contemporary prophet around the time of the like of Amos, Hosea, their lives sort of cross a little. So God wasn't just sending one and others didn't hear. He was sending prophet after prophet here and there traveling around. Micah chapter 7 and verse 7. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Notice, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, notice the words now, notice the language. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. In other words, there's no one can lighten my darkness. There's no one can lighten your darkness. There's no one can save our souls. Only the Lord. Salvation, as, as we are told in Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. Now notice what it says here. The Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Now grasp that. He says the Lord will do this. He will bring me forth to the light. Notice darkness, light. He'll bring me out. And it also says then, I will behold, I'll see he alone is righteous. That he alone 
can be my righteousness and that the Lord alone will give me righteousness. Then, verse 10, Then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her, which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her, now shall she be trodden down as the mire in the streets. In the day that thou, in the day that thy walls are to be built, in the day shall decree be, be far from removed. In other words, when the northern kingdoms be moved away, the house of Judah, the southern kingdom of two tribes, they were sitting and they were still worshipping in the temple. Still, many of them were good kings and, and they were leading in the right ways of God and they were trying to live right. And there they're looking at their brethren, as it were, on, on the, in the house of Israel and they're going to be taken away captive and their enemy's going to come upon them and God's judgment and wrath is going to be poured out and she sits laughing. And here they're saying, you may sit laughing, but one day your walls will come down. Let's be careful, brothers and sisters, whenever we see people who maybe are being dealt with, that we deal with them kindly and in love, because someday we might need that help back again. Here we have this southern kingdom, Judah, Jerusalem, laughing. See, we told you, you're going to get carried away. You're going to have judgment upon you. Notice what it says in verse 12. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria and from the fortified cities and from the fortress, even to the river and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain, notwithstanding the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of thy doings. Now you can read on down when you go home. Here the prophet is saying, you're going to be, we're going to be carried away. In the house of Judah, the elder brother of that parable will be saying, see that younger brother? Look where he is. Look what he's doing. Off you go. Take your inheritance and squander it. And if you remember, the idea there says he, the, the, uh, the Lord tells us that the younger brother wasted his living or wasted his inheritance on radis living. The idea is he to take up a handful of corn and, and to throw it into the air. That's what he thought of God's blessing. That's what he thought of God's presence. That's what he thought of his father's house. And that's what many of us are doing. That's what our nation is doing today. This is what I think of God's blessing. And this is what I think of God's word. And this is what I think of Jesus' name. And this is what I think of the Holy Bible. This is what I think of all those things to do with God and his law. And they're taking it with like handfuls of grain. And they're wasting it. And the heathen is now lording over us. Here, we see them here, it says that the Assyrian would come and the Assyrian came. And judgment came and carried away the house of Israel. So, before I just go into Peter, let me just read you something from Hosea chapter 2. And verse 23, the Lord says, And I will sow her, that is the northern kingdom, unto me in the earth. That's the treasure in the field Jesus talks about. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say unto them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. So the Lord promises He says, you're not my people. Go on, I've thrown you out. Looking upon that kingdom. 
You're not my people. He says, go. No longer will I have mercy on you. But he says, at this time, he says, I'm saying that, but down the road there's redemption. In other words, they were always his people, but not as a loving relationship. And I'll bring you back to me. See, Hosea, his wife Gomer was always his wife and he redeemed her back from slavery and from the marketplace. And brothers and sisters, herein is the the light of the glorious gospel that you and I are redeemed and you and I are bought back and you and I are brought out of darkness into God's marvelous light by this great and glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have obtained mercy who had no mercy. Notice this now. Notice what he says. Thou art my people, they'll say, and they shall say, Thou art my God. If you'll turn there, maybe you're still there. First Peter chapter 2, please. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him. Notice, who hath called you out of darkness? Into his marvelous light. What was Micah the prophet saying? He says, I'll be in darkness, but he'll be my light. When we're in darkness, he is our light. Which in time past were not a people. Here he's quoting Hosea. But are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. Peter says. So you can see how the Bible perfectly fits together. It's called the Bible pattern. It's what George Jeffries uh, really based his ministry on when he brought the Bible pattern. And then, of course, with the leaving of Elam, he went to form the Bible pattern churches because it was the pattern of the Bible, the, 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 the law of the first mention in Scripture, to follow it as a thread the whole way through Scripture to prove the authenticity and to prove that the Bible is 100% true and that you and I can believe it because if you and I cannot believe it, brothers and sisters, for what he has said here, then we cannot believe it for our salvation. If you believe him for your salvation, then you must believe his scriptures and we must know the scriptures that we may be able to give defense for the things that we believe to those who do not know. Now, now he says that you should show forth the praises, First Peter 2 and 9. That we're brought out of, you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The word darkness here needs to be looked at. The word darkness is the word skatas. And the darkness can be a literal darkness. We wandered everywhere where we're walking about. You know, there's people in this world, and not only in spiritual darkness, but they just live in total darkness. They're living just in a darkness of heart and a darkness of mind. But then there's a literal darkness when the, the nighttime comes. And this can mean any of them, but in this instance, the word skatas means this. It speaks of ignorance, respecting divine things and human duties and accompanying ungodliness and the accompanying ungodliness that comes with it together with immorality and with the consequent and misery 
of judgment. Now let me pause there. That's a big mouthful. That's a lot to take in. This is what darkness means. It means that you're in darkness and you're in so much darkness that your very mind, your very heart cannot understand divine things, spiritual matters. It means that not only can you not understand divine things, but you do not know the human duties that are required of us according to God's word and leading a, living a holy life. And it also then accompanies ungodliness and ungodly living. It means that we are in so much darkness, then comes the immorality with it. So then we start to have sexual immorality. We start to live immoral lives because we're in darkness. We can't see and we're blinded. And it means here that then there's a consequence of all of this darkness as we walk in darkness. It is nighttime. And when we walk in darkness, as it were nighttime, we will fall into the ditch of judgment. So what do we do? Can you see how we are living in a world like that? Men and women living in complete spiritual darkness and ignorance of Christ. And we were in darkness without Christ. And you're in darkness if you're without Christ. You're in darkness without the light of God's word. And men and women are in darkness without the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb. Here we have the, uh, Peter saying that he has brought you and I who know Christ out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Turn with me to Second Peter, please, chapter 2, for a brief moment. Second Peter, chapter 2. Notice this about darkness. You can read these chapters when you go home. Verse 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment... Now, I notice that the angels that sinned, you'll read about that in the book of Revelation where Lucifer, that morning star, as people know him about, the, the anointed cherub that covered the glory of God so that God's glory and brightness, his light would not consume his creation. That is his heavenly angelic creation. And because of that, this anointed cherub, he stands and he's covered and the Lord made him specially uh, with I suppose it's earthly, humanistic knowledge that we would have with precious stones and with horns and harp, horns coming out of him believed to be that the worship was amplified throughout him as the angels worship the Lord. And here he stands and he gets the big head and he gets the, the swollen head and he starts to think, I can become like God. By the way, the Mormons believe you can become like God. You can't become like God. There only is one God. There's not two gods. There's not three gods. There's not four or five or many. There's one God. Just one. His name's Jesus. His name is Jesus. And here, this anointed cherub stands in the as the covering. That's why in the Ark of the Covenant was talking about this morning, the mercy seat was the, the lid of the covenant. And the, the cherubims, they were fashioned with gold and they touched wing to wing like this. And the glory of God came down and reflected around this so not to consume the high priest before him. That was 
Lucifer's job. Lucifer fell from, from, from grace, as it were. He fell from glory, became known as Satan or the devil. And here these angels that came with him, the tail that drew a third of the stars, or a third of the angels, and warred against Michael, the archangel, and his angels. And he was cast, Lucifer, cast out of heaven, and he came right down to planet earth. Job, we're talking about the sons of God, stand to present themselves before the Lord God. And, and we're told that the Lord asked Lu, uh, Satan, Lucifer, now Satan, well, once come, where wast thou and once comest thou and where have you been? And he says, from walking up and down the earth and going to and fro in it. You see, he's roaming about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, and, and here we have a picture of, of this creature. He's not a wee red man with a long tail, we a trident and, and, and two wee spiky horns. We're told he comes as an angel of light. We're told that he comes as this powerful being, not the most powerful being, not the all-powerful being, but a powerful being, because only God Almighty is sovereign and in control, and he has all the power. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Satan is a defeated foe. Amen? I don't think he's sure about that. Satan is a defeated foe, brothers and sisters. We said it a bit louder. Satan is a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. Satan has no control over your life. Are you under the blood? Then tell him to go. You don't even have to fight him. Just resist him. You don't even have to tell him anything really. You just say, Satan, I'm not even listening to you today. I'm just resisting and he will flee, the word says. No, that's no good here. This one's really covered. (laughs) This one's really knows the word. This one really knows their God. This one is really the father's. Satan is not omnipresent. Only the Lord is omnipresent. The one true living God, the great eternal spirit, Yahweh. Jesus, our great Yahweh. So just in case one of us, as demons are listening tonight, we could all say it together, Jesus has defeated you at the place called Calvary. You're under our feet. You're a defeated foe, Satan. And all God's people say it. Amen. Now notice this. Notice this. The word darkness means to be ignorant of divine things. How aware are you of divine things, brother, sister? What do you mean divine things? I mean... When the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes. Spirit's within us, absolutely. And He comes with us, absolutely. But He's eternal Spirit. He's everywhere. And He comes and moves in our hearts together. And a, a uniform, unified heart in an assembly. How aware are you of the Holy Ghost? You know, when I was in my unsaved state, 
the old time I thought, well, maybe, maybe some sort of God. I'm not a bad person, and I was a bad person, but I didn't think I was bad because I've done all the things that were right in my own eyes, in my own state and sense of morality, and not a bad spot. Yeah. Total darkness I was in. I would tell you stories only I don't want to keep your children up at night. Don't want to keep my own children up at night either. I'm talking about spiritual stories of darkness, of vision. This is real. This is real. The good thing is our eternal Heavenly Father. He saw through time and before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a saviour in heaven. And before Israel were scattered and before all of that happened, before man put pen to paper, before even Adam was in the garden or going back further, before he spoke the words into being, he knew me and he saw me in darkness. He saw you. He had a great master plan. Here we're told that the angels that sinned were those who were cast out of heaven. And they're reserved in chains of darkness to judgment. Now you think about that, brother. And sister, if you really grasp hold of this and think about this. The angels don't know. They desire to look into this great redemption story we have. See all I'm telling you about here and about scattering and regathering and the gospel going and I I talked about uh, the Lord in, in Jeremiah 16 and 16. The Lord said that he would send Fishers and hunters after them. And, uh, and that's in Jeremiah's day. Hundreds of years later, Jesus walks up the shore and he says, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. F- fulfilling that scripture. And we're still fulfilling that scripture. And we're looking at all of these things. And these. The the angels of God are looking into it. They can't understand it. But the angels that sinned and fell from their first estate, they have no other chance. They're not getting what you got. There's no redemption for them. I know there's a doctrine of uh, 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 of universal salvation going everywhere now where everybody in the whole world and everybody no matter how bad they are oh they'll maybe go through some I don't know uh, 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 Roman Catholics come up with purgatory as a lie and then when we get Protestants to believe not to believe in a purgatory now the Protestants are turning and saying but there's some sort of uh, uh, purgatory maybe that we're going to go through to purify us to bring us to God's kingdom that's a lie from hell It's a lie from the darkest regions of hell. They even believe Satan will get a chance. I'm not joking. They believe the devil and his angels will get a chance. And Judas Iscariot, Pontius Pilate, 
and every Christ rejecter. The Bible tells us ye must. Will you say must for me, please? Must. You must be born again. You must be born again. If you go to the little book of Jude, just a few pages over, it's only one chapter in Jude. And if you go to it, and let your eye just run down, we'll just lift a verse out or so. Jude speaks of those who'd come in and are full of all sorts of weird and strange and ungodliness in their teaching. He mentions people that they represent or who are like, like Cain and Balaam and Korah. And you'll find Korah was those who were meant to be the, the leaders of of praise at one point in, in ancient Israel in the desert and the Lord sent a judgment on them for they stood against the anointed leadership of God. And of course Cain who killed Abel and a works offering for salvation and, and he had Balaam who taught Israel to sin. He couldn't curse them because he, they were under the blood. All they could see was Israel under the blood. All they could see was uh, Israel blessed and he says you can't bless that which uh, you can't curse that which God has blessed. Neither could a, a bless that which God has cursed. But one thing he could do, he could lure them away into sin. He sent forth strange women. Non-Israelite women into them. And they fell a lusting. Now notice what it says here in verse 12. We'll go to 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity or love, that is. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of wind, trees whose fruit, whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, Wandering stars to whom, notice, is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I started this series, I'm conscious of the time. I might need to do one more. Is that okay if I do one more in this series? Then I'll wrap it up because I went away off course again. You know, you know what I'm like. I go away off course. Again, Alson's always shouting me, I spend all day on one message in the study and don't come out from morning to night sometimes. And, and she says, Ken, you write everything down, you study everything to the T, and you write it down all meticulous, and you don't even preach it. I says, but I'm teaching, I'm learning myself. When it comes in, it's in there anyhow. So I'll maybe do one more, and we'll start here next week. And the Lord's will. When we were in, the, in West Ireland, was it two years ago maybe? I ain't forgetting. After I turned 40, I know I seem young to some of you and you only think I'm about 25 or 6, but really, that's the best laugh I've had in a long way, that one. You sort of, you don't really count, you, maybe you just lose count, I don't know, maybe that's just one of the things that happens. 
a while ago we were down the west coast of Ireland and Stan Allison's dad, my father-in-law, says, why not go to the Alwy Caves and they turn out these lights and it's total darkness. Now, I'll be honest, I've never experienced total darkness. I thought when it turned out the bedroom light, I actually have blackout curtains on our curtains because I can't sleep if there's light, so total darkness sort of sometimes suits me, you know. But I thought that was total darkness, but it's not. It's not. It's not total darkness at all. And when I first met Alison, I came down, she was up in the Milltown Road living there, and I walked out of the house one night, and lo and behold, I went in and it was bright out of Stan and Eunice's house. It was bright when I went in, and it was night when I was coming out to go home. And I walked out, and I couldn't see the ground, you know. I'm, from, I'm a city boy with streetlights. And, you know, cars even trying to light up the way. I couldn't see the ground, and I was sort of... And also sort of, uh, Alison and Stan used to, they just, you know, tramping about, you know, here's over, there's a path over here and you're walking around like this. And I was sort of walking like this. <laughs> you know, one foot trying to feel my way in case I tripped on something. I was just, this is really weird living like this. And I thought I could never live like that. And I thought that was, well, maybe that's total darkness. I'd never experienced total darkness before. And Stan says, why don't you go to all week here's it's total darkness. That's what they call total darkness. So we were driving up the west coast of Ireland and also I try and get there a few days, maybe during the week, every year if we can, every other year. It's just lovely up around there. And we were driving up and we came around to the Alway Caves and they brought us in. And we started walking around this wee path and I told you before, there was actually a, 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 an area where a bear had lived in bygone years, remember? I know there's no bears here now, but there must have been but some point. So this guy's telling us all this stuff. And of course, he was telling us a lot of nonsense because he was talking about things about water and billions and years of, old, you know, trillions of, of gallons every day and all this. Stuff. And I was going, how do you know? You know I mean, you're walking through this and this water's coming right in the inside. And you don't realize you're walking right into the center of this mountain. You don't realize how deep in you are. You're right in deep. And at one point, he's, he's with us and... Um, we had the guards with us, Jody and Ellie. So we're walking along and the path gets a little thinner. You can't, you can't fall because there's a wall up this side and there's a drop down there but there's a fence. He says, now I want you to all stay still. There's lights along the ceiling. We're going to turn these lights out and you're going to experience total darkness. And when you experience total darkness, he says, there's people come to the total dark, uh, or, or people come uh, here and in total darkness while they're down in caves or potholing or whatever, he says they get disorientated after a very short period of time. Up to an hour or two later, they're totally so disorientated they don't know whether they're going left or right. He says the only reason they know where is down is, this sounds strange, but this is what happens. The only reason they know where down is is because they can bend their knees and feel it. No idea where you are. None whatsoever. It's a really strange feeling. So everyone, hold on, turns out the lights, and you experience total darkness. And he leaves you like that for about a couple of minutes or so. And see, after seconds, you feel like you're not even standing hardly in anything. Your mind is tricked to the point where you... I couldn't have told you, if I had my eye open and went to poke myself in the eye, I'd have been able to do it without blinking. 
You couldn't see anything. Even your finger going right up to your eye. You couldn't see a thing. In fact, Jody stood in a puddle. Uh, Their lover, she moved her foot around and stood in a big puddle and soaked. You couldn't see a thing. The weird thing is, you start losing words forward and words back. What ways forward, what ways back? It's a strange little thing. See, at night time we have a bit of light from the stars, or as I said, street lights. And even in our windows, when we have blackout curtains, you have that. But here, total darkness. Total darkness in the sense when Israel were cast out, they went into total darkness spiritually. Didn't know who they were. Couldn't have told their left from the right. Heads, their ways, as the Lord says, I will hedge up your ways. You'll not know who you are. Spiritually speaking, we're in total darkness without Christ. And there's a day coming of judgment when those who are outside of Christ will be in total darkness. And they'll not know left or right or up or down, north or south or east or west. And there'll be no more light. Outer darkness. Outer darkness. There's a couple of pictures of this in the scriptures. When God gave a snapshot of this darkness. I'll tell you it next week. I'll tell you it next week. In God's will. God has brought us, what does Peter say? Out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. We're children of the light. Do you know John says, the Apostle John, 1 John 1 and 5, he says, God is light, and in him and God is no darkness at all. And the idea is in the exact opposite of total darkness, blackness of darkness. It's the exact opposite um, where there is no light and disorientation comes and, uh, and you're totally lost and you have an inability to move and, and, and you're terrified with it. That darkness, there's a, there's a total opposite in the Savior because in the Savior, God is light. In other words, his attribute, his nature is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. And just as there's darkness coming from the streetlights or, or lights coming through this darkness of the streetlights or as there's darkness from the light of the sun, the moon, or the moon and the stars at night and as there's a, a filtering through, even in a very dark place, there's little bits of light that you and I filter through with our vision and with our eyes to be able to adapt to see. But in total darkness, there's none of it. You can see nothing, just darkness. So in Almighty God, these lights here that we are in this building with, they're, they're speckled or uh, they're infiltrated. They are, uh, what's the word of it? They're, they're infused with spots of darkness. We see light, but there's spots of darkness, just like there's spots of light in the darkness. Here, when we turn the lights off on, there's, there's spots of, of darkness in the light. But when we come to the glory of God, in him there is no darkness at all. He is pure in his brilliance. He is pure light. That's why Jesus says, 
If the light be in you, be darkness. How great is the darkness? Because you're not like God. Just because my Father is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. God bless his word to us. I trust we're all saved. Washed in the blood. Trusting in the Savior. Next week in God's word, we'll, we'll do part seven or something of that. And we just keep going off track and coming back again. But the Lord is using it and blessing it. And we'll just keep going on. But we'll see how we go on next week. God bless us all. Thank you for your attention. We'll be here on Tuesday night now for a